Shalom and welcome to Rivkus, the CJN podcast with Jews of color talking about all things Jewish, Israel, whatever. My guest today, I'm so pleased to say, is Daniel Koren. Daniel Koren is the founder and executive director of Allied Voices for Israel. He's had over 12 years experience in the Jewish nonprofit sector as a fundraiser, an Israel advocate, communications expert, journalist extraordinaire. He's had leadership roles with B'nai B'rith, Canadian Jewish News, Shalom Life Media. He's also interviewed people in the music and entertainment industry, a little jealous, Mayim Bialik, Mac Miller of Blessed Memory, and many others. He is an expert on anti-Semitism in Canada, and he's been published or appeared in video, radio, print interviews with Name a Publication, Name a News Source. It seems like he has been interviewed or published within them. So I am really happy to have had this opportunity to speak with Daniel. So welcome. Rivka, thank you so very much um, for literally the most humbling introduction I have ever received. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. I could hear that again. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you. So we're going to, because I preempted everything and it's, it's, um, I, I, I am proud to say this. I think we are the soul standing podcast hosted by a Jew of color who predominantly interviews Jews of color, definitely the longest standing. So I think that's pretty cool. So, you know, then I'm going to need to must ask you a little bit about your ethnicity, my friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's awesome, by the way. Mazaltov. That is huge. Thank you. <laughs> so it's funny. I always like to introduce myself, um, especially in the Jewish community, um, as a minority within a minority. You, you know, no, that, that's the catchphrase. <laughs> know it. <laughs> you know, it's I am a, a Bukhari Jew. Um, it's very interesting to tell people that you're a Bukhari Jew because most people don't know what that means. Um, I'd uh-huh. say as many Jewish people know what it is to be Bukhari as non-Jewish people. <laughs> okay. So the story of the Bukhari Jews is very, very fascinating. And, and the reason that is, is, you know, once upon a time, I think we were Persian Jews and part of like the vast Persian Empire, you know, and then we uh, made a little home for ourselves in what was the Emirate of Bukhara in Central Asia, you know, which was still kind of part of the vast Persian Empire. And when Soviet Union took over the land, they did this phenomenal job of, of Russifying everything. So when my great grandparents oh. um, were around in Central Asia, they were speaking Bukhari, um, which is very interesting. It's a Judeo-Tajik language, kind of like our version of Yiddish, you know, the local language okay. with uh, biblical Hebrew, you know, just like Yiddish kind of is like the yeah. local language with biblical Hebrew. Um, so they were speaking Bukhari, everything was Bukhari, and when the Soviets took over, all of a sudden everything became Russian. You know, so for the longest mm. time growing up, I thought we were Russian, and I always thought, how come we don't look like any of the other Russian people? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> we really don't Ooh, look. Bit of a, yeah, a bit of a disconnect, eh? <laughs> just a little, just a little. You know, and then uh, as I 
matured and learned more about this, you know, it, it came to be that there's this very fascinating story, you know, between behind the Jews of Central Asia, Bukhari Jews, uh, you know, Kafkazi Jews, which are like our, our, our distant cousins, um, you know, and this experience that they had, right? Um, you know, I always, when people ask me, what does that mean? I'll say, listen, all Jews came from Israel. Then from Israel, they moved all over the world. My people exactly. ended up in the Persian Empire, you know, and that's how they became <laughs> Bukhari. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How's the language? Is it still, are there still people trying to maintain it? The language exists. The language exists. I wouldn't say that people are maintaining it. It's kind of a dying language, I think, similar with Yiddish or any of like the Judeo languages that now that mm -hmm. Hebrew has kind of taken over, you know, those those languages are dying off a little bit. And it is beautiful to see, at least with Yiddish, that there are a lot of people who are trying to keep Yiddish alive. Um, in the terms of the Bukhari language, my family is definitely not keeping it alive. <laughs> you know, Hebrew was the language we spoke growing up. But I do know a lot of people, let's say the older generation, that still definitely maintain and keep the language. But okay. I, I would be concerned, uh, you know, for its longevity and if it will survive. Um, yeah. You, you know, because we're not, there's not a lot of Bukhari Jews in the world. I believe around 200,000 or so. Oh, that, that is not a lot. Yeah. But it's still some. It's still some. And so a third a third of them are in Queens, specifically. That's... <laughs> this Queens. <Yeah. laughs> the other thirds in Israel and the rest were scattered. In Toronto, I think we have a few thousand. Um, we do have like a, uh, a, a synagogue now in like the Richmond, uh, Richmond Hill, Bathurst and Rutherford area. Um, growing, oh, really? Yeah, growing up, we went to the basement of uh, Kahila Center, you know, Bathurst and Steel, because that's, you know, that's as many people in our hops, community. Yeah, and hop, skip, and a jump from my home. Oh. And actually, it is, it's almost a magnet for different groups. Like, it's, you know, like Yemenite. Yeah. Like, it's almost like a magnet, right? So I'm not surprised that <laughs> you spend some time there. It's, you know, it's, it's so fascinating, right? Because now, especially, I work... You know, I like to say I'm a professional Jew. I've worked in the Jewish community almost 13 years. Um, you know, you hear a lot about various synagogues and congregations here. And you'll get that question a lot. What's your denomination? You know, and in our community, yeah. there are no denominations. You know, it's exactly you're Jewish. It's really an Ashkenazi it's phenomenon. Really an Ashkenazi. Den denominations, right? And people don't really process that. Yeah, no, right? I think people don't process a lot when it comes to yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Ashkenazi traditions, and then obviously, you know, Jewish traditions of of various communities. Exactly, because I don't identify as a particular denomination. Sometimes I feel like I almost have to. Like, sure, I may work in synagogues that are a particular denomination, but it doesn't necessarily mean that is what I am. And I, I, I do struggle with when people say, well, you know, what are you? Are you conservative or are you orthodox? And I'm like, I'm just Jewish. But I said, if you want to get down to it, my people traditionally would be defined as what you define as orthodox. Yeah. But it's like, just Jewish. I'm good with that. You're good with that. I'm, We're all good with that. I'm good with that. <laughs> and that's actually a beautiful segue because we, re we need to understand and we need to recognize that all those different boxes that we can put our family into, our, our, our people into, they do not matter one iota 
when it comes to anti-Semitism. No one is saying, well, Rivka's like a sort of Jew, so we'll just leave her alone. And and Mr. You know, Shomer Shabbos uh, Haredi over there, he's, he's a super Jew, so let's attack them. Nobody is doing that. Nobody is like doing that when it comes to anti-Semitism. So let's, um, let's talk about your organization. And one of the things that um, came to mind, it, and it's called Allied Voices for Israel. Now, is the acronym AVI? Yes. Or would that be weird to say? Okay. No, no. <laughs> I love that. That's got, that was part, partially okay. the point, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm looking, I'm like, do I say AVI or do I say AVI? But AVI seems kind of perfect. <laughs> yes, it does. And I appreciate you saying that. There have been some yeah. people saying AVI. We're, we, we're calling it AVI, absolutely. Good, 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 good. So now this organization... Um, it's primarily working with, from what I can understand, it's primarily working with students. So it's uniting students against um, anti-Jewish hatred. So high school students and university students. My question to you is, as you know, because you've worked in, in the community for a long time and you've worked in different organizations. So my question is to, to you is, why another organization do you feel you're meeting a certain niche but then we have organizations with high school students and uni students like where do you fit in and and what was your thinking behind this because you are the founder and the executive director of this organization so please tell me why this <laughs> is simply why <laughs> absolutely and that's, and that's a great question Rivka and I and I appreciate that um, so I've been, as, as I've mentioned, a Jewish community professional for 13 years. Um, the staff and I at Avi, I think, have a combined um, work experience in the Jewish community of perhaps 40 years, something like that. I've got a really great team behind me. Um, all of us have worked with various organizations, and I think we've seen through our experiences that there was a critical void in the community in terms of uniting Jewish and non-Jewish students together. So what we saw, especially from working on campus, is that there are programs and organizations focused on Jewish students. There's programs and organizations focused on Christian uh, students who are interested in Israel or uniting Christian and Jewish stu students or, or, or things like that. But there was nothing really that's focused on uniting and empowering Jewish students and their uh, allies specifically mm. and creating a movement um, where students of all backgrounds can be fighting against anti-Semitism. We're, we're referring to it as anti-Jewish hatred because in our experience, we've seen a, a lot of confusion over this term anti-Semitism. Um, and we, we've, we've seen that there are no programs kind of specifically designed to, to that extent to really unite and bring students together. I'm sure you've heard, Rivka, that the intersectional movement has not always been kind um, to, to Jewish individuals, especially the majority of Jews in Canada are Zionist and anyone who's Zionist um, usually have been excluded from that movement. And we wanted to create our own intersectional movement where Jewish students, where Zionist students, where students of conscience could really be together um, and working together. You know, obviously we have a few goals, as you said, to um, fight against anti-Jewish hatred. Um, we're really looking to change the narrative about Israel, specifically on campus. 
And we believe by having our allies, by bringing in um, our peers and embracing our peers into this movement, you know, we can really um, aim to achieve a just society, achieve strength in numbers, you know, and, and fight against anti-Jewish hatred together. It is our intention um, to work with other organizations in this community. Um, again, in my experience, I've seen it, there used to be a time where organizations were duplicating the efforts of one another and there was a race to the finish line. Who gets out the first yeah. press release? Uh, I don't think that was good for the community. I don't think the community thinks Absolutely that not. So there was something that you had said that struck me, and I think it it warrants further discussion. When you mentioned about the term, you use anti-Jewish as opposed to anti-Semitism because you feel, and I, you can correct me if I'm misquoting you or misparaphrasing you, you feel that it, there's some confusion around the terminology anti-Semitism. Can you just delve into that a little bit? Because I kind of I kind of feel the same way, but I don't know how to articulate it. So can you delve into that, please? So we've, we've decided to take an organizational approach to use the term anti-Jewish hatred. Now, this term anti-Semitism exists. It's going to be impossible not to use it. Um, but again, in our experience in the Jewish community and, you know, seeing, especially on social media, how much confusion and miseducation has stemmed from this term anti-Semitism, um, we decided strategically to avoid using that term. I'll tell you another reason. I find it very interesting that we as a Jewish community adopted a term that was created by a Nazi, that was created by a Jew hater who wanted to create mm. a scientific term for Jewish, for anti-Jewish hatred, because that's really what anti-Semitism is, right? And, you know, the question itself, why are we using this term? Why are we uh, upholding um, the legacy, um, you know, of, 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 this, of this person um, by using this term anti-Semitism, right? When in right. reality, you know, we, we should be using a term, I think, that um, clearly states the connotations and when, and what we are talking about, you know. So when we're talking anti-Semitism, I'm sure you've seen this on social media. I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of posts, comments, tweets. I can't be anti-Semitic. I speak a Semitic language, or I can't be nah. Semitic. I'm a Semitic person. <laughs> Right? Exactly. And it's confusing. I, I think it is. It you know, is I think outside of the Jewish community, especially. I don't think they get it. Right. And and we yeah. need to be clear. You, you know, I think mis in my opinion, um, misinformation and a lack of education and a lack of conversation is why anti-Semitism is so rampant. There are not enough Jews in the world to meet everybody else. You know, and I think when people simply are able to meet Jewish people, especially you know, Jewish people who don't fit certain stereotypes, um, it's able mm -hmm. to, it's 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 able to uh, show to them, oh wow, this is not what I was thinking at all. You know, I think a lot of people think all Jewish people look like Larry David or Woody Allen. You know, if they saw you and I having a conversation, <laughs> don't forget, don't forget Barbara Streisand. I always throw right. her in there too. <laughs> oh really? Okay, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Right, but but as you and I know, yeah. there's this this huge diaspora, and there's no such thing as looking Jewish, right? So I think in order Is to um, speak to them some of those falsehoods and make it easier to understand what we're talking about, we're not going to make it open up to anybody to make, oh, but wait, I'm not this, or I'm a Semitic person. Nope. Exactly. You are promoting anti-Jewish hatred. You Perfect. are promoting the hatred Perfect. against Jewish people. Yeah. 
just uh, when you said about uh, if people saw us and what, you know, there's no such thing as there's no definitive answer to what a Jewer looks like. I just was involved in a conversation which annoyed me to no end. And it was Sarah Silverman and her Jew face thing. And it's like she and so basically she's protesting that non-Jews are used to portray Jews and because basically they fit what who a Jew looks like. And I'm like, but if I were to portray a Jew, that would be absolutely fine because I'm Jewish. Like, what is this Jew face you're speaking of? Like, and, and her Jew face is a face that looks like hers or Barbara Streitzand's. So then somebody actually okay. put a whole list of Jews of color, like Jews that don't look like a stereotypical. He put pictures of really? Jews that are blonde, blue-eyed, this and that. And I took it a step further. And I said, oh, and there's also Lisa Bonet. There's also this. And I named a, a bunch of Jews of color. And it was like, damn, what is this Jew face? <laughs> but <laughs> I have That's a Jew awesome. face. Anyways, you have a Jew face. Me too. Me so, too. Exactly. So the right, thing Who gets to, to decide? Um, who gets to decide, right? Sarah Silverman? No, you know, it's the same <laughs> with Jew, Jew food, Rivka, right? Because I grew up oh. eating bachsh, plof, korochan, oshola, osovo, things you've never heard of in your life. And to me, this was Jewish food. We ate it every Shabbat. 100%. We ate it at game, right? 100%. I didn't know what kapelka fish was. I didn't know what matzah ball soup and was. Don't get me wrong. And still really it's, don't it's... want to know what it is? No. <laughs> You know what, so my wife is Ashkenazi, uh, a proud Ashkenazi, which I really appreciate and respect. You know, Absolutely. she forced me to have gefilte fish. I said, this is disgusting. But she forced me to have it five years in a row. And on the fifth year, Rivka, I had it with a ton of chren. I'm like, damn, this is actually delicious. And now, like, okay. I'm a converted person who, you know, who appreciates. Yep, and that's fine. I speak a lot of, I speak to a lot of Ashkenazim. Yeah. Who don't like it felt the fish but no exactly. it is something i appreciate but that's yeah. that's something that's come up with me a lot because at holidays especially there's certain foods we eat you know i have a friend i, I think you know my our mutual friend ariella daniels you know there's certain food mm-hmm. that that she eats at her at her holidays right and that is jewish food right right food. just like my rice and peas Jew, jamaican rice and peas jewish food cassava jewish food oh, it yeah. will sit on that pesach table it is Jewish food. But I do love, yeah, yeah, because that, that comes up with me a lot. Actually, yesterday we were just talking about gefilte fish while we were having dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and, yeah. And, and, and but, you lost your appetite? No. <laughs> pretty, <laughs> came close. <laughs> but, um, but the funny bit is that, you know, well, not the funny bit. I think the thing that we need to recognize as Jews in general is that, yeah, there isn't one way, to, like we had said, there's not one way to be Jewish. There's not one type of Jewish food. It's all Jewish food. It's, if it's eaten by Jews, it's Jewish food. You know, it's like when they, people say about my last name, they say, but it's not a Jewish last name. And I say, but a last name does not a Jew make. And it's my last well, name. That makes it Jewish. So, you know, so, yeah, there's so many ways we can do Jewish. But um, another thing I wanted to say about deliberately using anti-Jewish. Yes. I can't tell you how how strong a message, like there is no gray area in that. Yes. So I commend you on being very firm and naming what it is. 
not being wishy-washy, not being naming it as exactly what it is. It is anti-Jewish hatred. Full stop. Thank you. Um, especially now that our, our vision and our mission is to unite students, Jewish and their allies, to unite mm-hmm. students of all backgrounds, right? Um, again, from what we've seen, there isn't so much programming or any programming really out there that's designed to unite students in this way, you know, and to create this movement where our allies are truly em- embraced. Um, you know, we believe because allies obviously don't have uh, many times as much of an understanding of Judaism or anti-Jewish hatred or anti-Semitism or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, you know, we do want them to educate them in a way that is very clear, uh, you know, and we do want to uh, ensure that they are privy to the misinformation and the propaganda that is out there, you know, when it when it comes to Jewish people, and that's why, especially when that proper with that propaganda surrounding Israel, you know, we are looking to yes. bring students to Israel um, uh, on a program we're calling Common Ground, R- Rivka. So nice. Thank you very much. It's going to be our Common Ground Israel program, and and this allyship program to Israel will be bringing students, Jewish and their allies, uh, on an on an incredible ten days where they are going to be exposed to Israel's robust diversity, and most importantly, where they were going to meet Israelis, Palestinians, Israeli Arabs, Ethiopians, Druze, and anyone who is fighting for peace and for coexistence. Mm-hmm. Um, and based off of that experience, we are going to help them build a framework on how they can take that experience of seeing Israelis and Palestinians fighting for peace and coexistence and bring that back to your college or university campus here in Canada. Obviously, our organization is is uniquely Canadian, and that's another thing we're very excited about um, because there's obviously a lot of organizations that are international or have a lot of methodologies coming Mm -hmm. in from the United States or elsewhere. And from our experience, we've seen fighting anti-Jewish hatred in Canada requires a Canadian approach a Canadian methodology, and and that's really what. Don't we're be going too to polite, think. though. Don't be too polite. <laughs> I, you know, my my thoughts on that is uh, Israeli Canadians are the best hybrid, right? Because Israelis can be too aggressive, but Canadians can be too polite. So find them a much something by right on the nice center there, you know, where you can be a little bit aggressive like an Israeli, but also polite like a Canadian, Politely not aggressive. completely right, right, right in the middle there. That's. That's what I try cool, to do. Cool. That's how I try to live. Cool. Yeah. So, um, because Jewish students, they're, Jewish students are very much used to being in the thick of things. Jewish students have a unique knowledge about what it is to be Jewish, mm-hmm. Israel, blah, blah, blah. How is the reaction or what are the sort of things that you're finding when you are speaking to the non-Jewish um, participants? Like, what have you found? Um, since we've been doing this, we just held, for example, a phenomenal um, summer retreat for students um, representing 10 college and university campuses across Ontario and mm-hmm. Quebec. Um, around 40% of the students at the retreat were, were, were allies, you know, so students who weren't Jewish. And it was a phenomenal experience of them getting to learn about Israel and about Jewish culture and vice versa, right? You know, and this summer retreat that we had, uh, I'll tell you, it was phenomenal in, uh, on a variety of levels. Firstly, to give an opportunity for Jewish students to speak about BDS and how they are being targeted um, to non-Jewish students was incredible because I felt like 
this was like the first time they had that opportunity. You, you know, I, I from working with students and I've worked with students for over five years now, um, it, it didn't seem like they've had too many opportunities to share with nuance why BDS is hateful, why BDS leads to the targeting of Jewish people, and why BDS actually does not support Israelis or Palestinians on the ground. And that's part of the reason, that's part of what we hope to achieve with our common ground trip. Um, the, the questions we heard a lot in terms of, our, of the allied students was about Israel, was about um, Israeli politics, but also uh, a, a lot of the questions were about the connection to Israel um, from a Jewish perspective and even from a religious perspective. You know, there, there was a lot of um, surprises, you know, when we were talking about um, Jewish artifacts, Jewish indigeneity, you know, we love to mm -hmm. talk about um, the Arch of Titus, you know, for example, and the Arch of Titus in mm -hmm. Rome, um, exemplifying that the Jewish people have had this presence and that we can relate um, and draw a connection directly to this land of Israel. You don't even need to mention the Torah or, or biblical stories. Right. You can rely on historical, archaeological, and genetic data to show and corroborate this notion of Jewish indigeneity. And when we presented that, you know, I, we always get many Jewish students who are shocked, right? So you can imagine, yeah, I can the, imagine. the students yeah. who weren't Jewish. Um, yeah, you know, because they don't hear about this, right? I don't think anyone's learning about Arch of Titus, archaeological and and historical records and things like that. You're not getting that in Jewish school. You're certainly not getting that on campus. Question for you, because acknowledging that it, it, you are apolitical, however, we know there's a bit of a balagan right now in Israel, yes. and I think even balagan is probably too soft a word. It probably is. But... <laughs> But do you find do you find that there could be potential challenges when speaking to non-Jewish, or for that matter, Jewish, because it is kind of polarizing, and it is kind of you kind of get where I'm going. Like, do you think I that do. will be something that you will have to try and navigate? So I'll tell you, it's an interesting question, and you're not the first to ask, Rivka. Um, uh -huh. From what we've seen, actually, to be frank, uh, our, uh, the students who are our allies and our non-Jewish stakeholders are not quite reacting with the same sensitivity uh, that some of the Jewish community are to, uh, you know, the judicial reform happening in Israel. I think they see it in uh, much of the same way as Canada's experiences with other loud and public debates over pipelines or vaccines or whatever polarizing okay. issues. You know, this is what happens in free and democratic okay. societies. And overwhelmingly, I, th I think also because, you know, I have many friends, for example, who aren't Jewish, and they'll ask me all the time this question, what's going on in Israel? You know, over the last yeah. 10 years, I can, they can ask me, what's going on in Israel? Because CP24 is telling me something's going on in Israel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This seems uh, to be no different from, from that. Uh, okay. Unless I think you're truly an expert and a scholar, um, which I don't think the majority of people in the Jewish community are experts and scholars on what's going on. Um, it, it doesn't strike me that this is particularly worrisome to our allies. You know, I, I mm -hmm. would think war would be much more worrisome, given that mm -hmm. with Jewish students, they're used to going to Israel at any time. And even if there are, right. you know, even if there is war or, or, or terrorism or anything like that, I think Jewish students are kind of accustomed to that. Whereas with non-Jewish mm -hmm. students, I, I wouldn't think so from the experiences and conversations I've had. So frankly, I would be more concerned about any, any um, spike in terrorism and violence when we're bringing our students Fair to Israel in, de in, in December. Yeah. Yeah, fair point. Um, so now, do you, because we know 
there are organizations, there are even just individual Jews, if you will, who will push back on work that is done that is interfaith. Um, by that, I mean, it's like, well, Israel is our, regardless of the anti-Jewish part, because I firmly believe that just like, you know, racism, uh, anti-Jewish hatred, hatred is, a, is, an, is something that affects us. But ultimately, mm -hmm. it is for though, it's not necessary for Jews to fix. It's like, fix your people. Fix, mm -hmm. your, <laughs> fix your racist people. <laughs> fix your anti-Jewish hatred. Fix yourselves. Yeah. Like, you know, ultimately. However, we do know that when it comes to Israel being a sensitive topic for, for, for some of us, the connection people feel can feel uncomfortable about non-Jews becoming involved in things that have to do with Israel. You know where I'm going. So have you ever had, have, are you, do you have any pushback? Have you had to address people who say, well, I don't want, I don't want non-Jews getting involved in stuff that have to do with Israel because it's our country. It's about us. It's like, you know what I mean? Because I've heard that. I do know what you mean. Sadly, I, I think it speaks to the problem we've, found ourselves in right there's mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong um with having a strong united jewish community in fact in my opinion uh, anti-jewish hatred is at its lowest when you have a strong and united jewish community um but when it comes to allyship coalition building mm -hmm. this is how you educate you know the reason why i think the bds movement has been successful is they've really sh um showed up for other causes right um, and whether mm -hmm. that's part of a political agenda or not, uh, you know, I, 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 we, we could speak to that an, another time, um, but they really have shown up, right? And I think the challenge is, yes, you've had certain Jewish organizations show up, but the challenge has been when those organizations are overwhelmingly radical on one side, whether left or, or right, mm -hmm. and especially when the radical anti-Zionist groups have been showing up for certain causes, um, they've really been aiding and, and abetting this notion of, of misinformation and propaganda, you know, having to do with the Jewish community. So how can we educate if education and conversation are the two most effective ways to eradicate anti-Jewish hatred? How, what can we do about that? We need to ensure that Jewish community members are having these conversations, that they are meeting and, and reaching and um, engaging other communities. And in, and in my opinion, and obviously in the opinion of Avi, we need to be uniting with these other groups and fighting together, right? Um, intersectionality is not actually a bad thing. You know, I think it's been painted as this bad thing because Jewish people yes. overwhelmingly have been excluded from that. But right. if we could create a movement, um, and again, this will take time and obviously it needs to be organic and it needs to be grassroots. But if we can help with students establish a movement where they can find their common ground, where even if they disagree on some political items, that they can still focus on what unites them rather than what divides them. We want to be able to help usher in a, a movement like that so that Jewish and non-Jewish students can be fighting together, can be working together. When I mentioned this to a stakeholder that we're establishing, Avi, he said to me, he said, you know, Daniel, if you have 20 Jewish students who are empowered and engaged to advocate for Israel and against hatred, or if you have 10 Jewish students and 10 non-Jewish students who are engaged, 
which group of students is going to be more impactful? And he said, because in my opinion, obviously the 10 Jewish students and 10 non-Jewish students would be more impactful because those 10 non-Jewish students have access to a variety of communities Dozens well, exactly. of hundreds of communities that we don't. Exactly. Right? And Jewish it geography is a big to, deal. You know, like absolutely. everybody knows each other. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it goes back to they will take the message, they will take the knowledge, the education, and fix their people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Say, Hopefully. there you go. I'm just, <laughs> you know, and fi- fix your people. I, I appreciate so, how candid you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... You, this common ground sounds. When is it? When are you going to Israel? If you don't mind me well, asking. Please. So we will be doing our our first our inaugural common ground program to Israel in December. Um. So for any viewers, sorry viewers, this is a podcast for any listeners. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know who are students who are on any campus in Canada. I encourage you to be in touch with us at Allied Voices for Israel. Um. Our website's AlliedVoicesForIsrael.org, and um. We, we would love to hear from you. This program is specifically, you know, for, for Jewish students and for their allies to become ambassadors, not just for Israel, for Am Israel, but for common ground. You know, the reason we're calling it common ground is from our conversations with students, they're also sick of this very polarizing world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're also kind of fed up with the radical ideologies and these 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 notions that you have to be either on this side or that side and there's no middle anymore you know when we want to be able to bring students back to that middle um, especially as a Bukhari person if I go to a Turkish restaurant there's things that remind me of my upbringing if I go to certain um, Muslim Arab Persian restaurants there's things that remind me of my upbringing and I think all the time there's so much we have in common and yet absolutely all they care about is that I'm wearing a Megan David and that uh, that I speak Hebrew why yeah yeah and I just love the name, like Common Ground, because it not only speaks to the philosophy that you've spoken about, it also speaks to the physicality. Israel Common Ground, like ground is in Israel, you know? So I think it's I love that. awesome that, that, that you've chosen that. So if you could tell you. me a little bit about, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit more about other opportunities for the students here in Canada at their at their colleges and universities, which I'll tell you, I am so happy I'm neither a college or uni student yeah. right now because it's it's the stories I hear, it actually freezes me. Yeah, you know what? Um, I'll tell you, it's funny if I can just speak to that very quickly. Yes, I, please. I, so I worked at B'nai B'rith Canada for four years. I was a communications manager. And at B'nai B'rith, it's all about anti-Semitism, obviously, anti-Jewish hatred. Um, and there was so much of it. But because it was coming from all over the place, there were a lot of times where we at B'nai B'rith were successful in calling it out and having people uh, apologize and having companies um, re- remove certain posts, X, Y, Z, right? And when I moved from B'nai B'rith into the campus space over four years ago, it was a very difficult adjustment because the victories against anti-Jewish <laughs> hatred were a lot more difficult to come by, right? Whereas B'nai B'rith, you were able to um, have people acknowledge and apologize for their anti-Jewish hatred on campus. Right. It's not quite the same. And there was, for ex- example, just recently at uh, King's University College, um, which is an affiliate of Western, there was a professor who invited Eve Zangler to speak. Not a student group, a professor, right? I saw that. And you couldn't get the administration to apologize, let alone ensure that um, Eve Zangler not be held on campus. 
you know, I, I personally, and as Avi is an organization, you know, we, we support free speech, obviously. Um, I'm personally not one to go to cancel culture right, right away. I do believe when you have someone who's hateful, a hateful person should not be celebrated or invited on a university campus. If you want to go speak at this professor's apartment to her friends or whoever it is, absolutely. This is Canada. Do what you want. But to promote, <laughs> to, to invite a hateful speaker to campus, in, in my opinion, um, is, is counterproductive, is counterintuitive to what campuses should represent in Canada. And, and Daniel, free speech doesn't doesn't encompass hate speech like it's like we're so quick to say free speech first of all free speech does not come without consequences and not everything is deemed as free speech absolutely absolutely legally legally no 100 percent. this is canada Uh, there are hate laws so you would think that if people who have histories of um of, of hate and of, of uh, willfully promoting hatred, which is illegal, you know, that they not be exactly. invited. Again, I can't, I'm not a fortune teller. I can't, uh, you know, predict what every single speaker is going to say. But when these speakers have histories and they've been I was going to say, history is a good indicator <laughs> of like, you know, like, there's no 180 happening there. <laughs> no, you know, so I'd say nah. that is like one of so many sad examples. I can give other sad examples where there were student clubs who outright tried to ban Zionists on campus, you know, for all Zionists to be boycotted. Um, it's, it's truly sickening in the sense mm-hmm. that those are what those individuals are doing. And I'll tell you, I use that as inspiration to tell our students who are Zionists, don't let this get you down. It is our not mm-hmm. it is not our role to solve the Arab-Israeli conflict. Okay, we are in Canada. No, it's not. That is not our role. <laughs> it should be, though, as Canadians, to foster and promote um, a sense of understanding, finding your common ground, and supporting both peoples, not one at, at the expense of another, as I said. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, wow, this group. Okay. Okay. I think you managed to prove uh, that you're worthy of existence. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate appreciate that. You know, we we, we just want to do good work. We want to work with our partners. You know, we really want to help make a change. Our our tagline is change starts together. You know, we we really believe that we really um, personify that. and, And that's truly our goal. Okay, so if you can, again, just let people know how to get in touch with your organization, uh, that would be great, because this work needs to move forward. Thank you so much. So uh, again, it's um, our website is alliedvoicesforisrael.org. Um, anyone listening, please feel free to shoot me an email. It's daniel at alliedvoicesforisrael.org. Um, and, and just kind of in response, Rifka, to your earlier question that I realize now I didn't yes. answer, we're going to have this uh-huh. Common Ground program. We're also going to have a campus media fellowship for students who are interested in developing op-eds and columns to help some support this methodology of, of Common Ground and ha- being published in your student media or national media. Um, and we also have programs and educational webinars for high school students and for middle school students, which are separate programs run by, by other staff that we have. So, oh, middle school. Okay. Yes, yes, starting in grade six. Get them young. Uh, yes, you, know you really need <laughs> but to. You have to. You really you need have to. have to. Because I'll tell yeah. you, I've spoken to 10-year-old kids um, on TikTok who have seen some outrageous and disgusting comments, right? And um, mm-hmm. for 10-year-olds to be exposed to Heil Hitlers and swastikas, on TikTok, th- mm-hmm. there should be no justification for that. I'm sold. 
I, Rivka, can get kind of jaded when I see the same old, same old. So it's like, yeah. what makes this organization different? Where are they going to fit in? And you've you've answered those things for me. And and Thank I think you. I think it really speaks to my my philosophy too that we can't fight this alone. We shouldn't be fighting no. it alone. This, it's ex, it's it's not appropriate. It's exhausting. And yeah. we can't make traction by just all of us always saying we have this problem, we have this problem, we have this problem. We, because then it also becomes this kind of the voice that people tune out. Yeah, they they tune us out. Yes. They tune us out because we're always the ones, you know, saying this, this, and that. Yes. So I think it's important for others to say, you know what? They are right. We agree. We have seen it. We've heard it. And here's what we need to do. Right. I so I think I think that's really important. So and I think that's what sets your organization apart is that aspect of it, especially in the student realm, which that's... is toxic as you know what right now. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for being my guest today. This was an incredible conversation. And I'm just asking our listeners, check out his website, check out the work that is being done. And um, yeah, and may you have much, much success because the success of your organization is the success for all of us. And I think it's really important. So thank you again. Thank thank you so very much for having me, Rivka. Riff Kush is hosted by me, Rivka Campbell. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman. Our theme music is by Westside Gravy. We're proudly sponsored by the Canadian Race Relations Foundation and hosted by the CGN Podcast Network. If you like this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. To support our work and everything else the CJN does, Visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks for listening. Scattered in the wind, never scattered to bend To remember where we come from and the gold that's within Zahab Yerushalayim, Asur Lishkoach, Hakdushat Ha'aretz, Shenoten Lanukoach